You're listening to the Co-op Book Podcast. I'd like to welcome Di Morrissey to the Co-op Chat. Hello, Di. Hi. Um, now, if there's anyone that hasn't heard of Di Morrissey, you're going to have to do a bit of a refresher course because Di is a... Uh, best-selling author and we this is book number 23 we're talking about is that right that's right 23 books die 23 novels i've also done uh, three children's books uh look that concept alone those numbers <laughs> freak me out but let, 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 we're here to talk about your latest book rain music and rain music set in cooktown in far north queensland what prompted you or motivated you to write in that environment You've never been there, I can tell. I've been to, I haven't been to Cooktown, but I've been to Far North Queensland. Yes, well, Cooktown makes a big impression. There's not much there. Uh, but I went there years ago and uh, always wanted to go back and set a novel there because it's really the cradle of so much Australian history. You know, the cook stepped ashore in Cooktown when he found it on the on the reef and then there was the Palmer River Gold Rush and the Kanakas that came to, you know, a really Australian slave trade mm. that were shanghaied out of, you know, places like now called Vanuatu to work in the sugarcane fields. And it was very sort of rich tapestry that doesn't often get explored and what I do with popular fiction is to take a contemporary story and then it's a place that always in is you know the catalyst for where the story is going to be set um, and then I tell it through the eyes of protagonists who are there in the place i.e. me um, because you know I go and live in the place that I write about and then I contrast the contemporary story often, most times, not always, but I then weave in the essence of the place, which includes its history, of course, the people and the colours, and you can't describe a place, or I can't if I haven't been there. So, and Cooktown is rich pickings for a novelist, I'm here to tell you. And it's not the, uh, it's not Cairns, it's not Port Douglas, it's not Townsville, so it's, it's, it's a bit more rural in its setup. It's just that it's so remote. It's the last town before you drop off the tip of Australia, other than Bamaga, but the Bamaga's pretty small. Um, and it was, you know, it was the setting of such a... I mean, they really believed that it was going to be the metropolis of, of, of Australia. And, you know, they built this extraordinary convent for the Irish nuns that came out in 1888, and which is now the wonderful James Cook Museum. So there's really only two main buildings there, but it's surrounded by extraordinary setting and all of... The, uh, this history, but the book does also look at the Daintree and Cairns and some of the Cairns in the 70s was an extraordinary wild place with the fishing and the music, the Barbary Coast, extraordinary music and the mu- there's a theme of the I'm writing about a brother and a sister and I've never written an explored siblings relationship before in the in the, the relationships I look at. And there's the practical sister and then there's the dreamer, older brother, who wants to be a musician. So, um, and the catalyst, uh, you know, is that uh, the brother has kind of disappeared and dropped off the family radar. There's um, an event for their late father and, of course, the mother and the sister want him there and when they can't find him... The sister sets off from rural Victoria to find her brother and she travels all up through Queensland which again changes her as a landscape can and then when she finds her brother in Cooktown wow 
all hell breaks loose. So that's the story. So the the theme of, uh, I suppose, getting out of your comfort zone and in a way, the way you explained it reminds me of a road movie. Yeah. What is it about, you know, changing circumstances that affects people, do you think? I think it's the environment, it's the landscape, because he was a very busy, practical, efficient, you know, professional woman in her 30s, and we see how her personality changes, how her attitudes change, and her pace slows the further north she goes, and then she meets um, those eccentric people with no last names that drift up to the to the far north. Uh, and so some people, uh, like Bella, embrace the, this new scenery and landscape and setting and, and philosophy, but some people can also be quite intimidated or quite confronted by, uh, you know, this extraordinary... When you're very much out of your land, your comfort zone in extraordinary landscape, I think it does have quite an effect on whether you recognise it or not on, on the psyche. So I kind of like to explore that in, in, in this book. And the story is told through two sets of eyes, one through Bella and one through Ned, her brother. So you get both perspectives which is quite a balancing act to do. How, how was it? How did, you, how did you get into the different headspaces? Uh, just by sort of saying, okay, what's Ned doing? And speak to me, Ned. And I heard Ned's voice in my head. So, you know, I'm a very visual writer, but I see, I see what I'm writing about, maybe because I've been there, um, like spooling through my head like a, uh, like a movie. And I hear them. They talk to me and I just write it down. What tell me a bit about your writing process? Are you a organised writer? Do you plan things out? Not, not really. I choose the or it chooses me the place, the relationship. I'm going to be doing these characters, and then I go to the place and I get the all of that kind of colour and and characters and stuff from being there. And then I come back and I'm very disciplined. I work every single day from you know seven to you know six o'clock, uh, uh, seven days a week for six months. I mean, I take breaks, family things, okay. But I mean, essentially, I have a deadline. I've never missed a deadline, and I'm very disciplined. But equally, I can be two chapters off the end and have no idea how it's going to end. I learn to trust. And so you, you trust the story, and you're along for the ride as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's why I could never. I'm asked all the time to teach like, you know, classes and creative writing courses, and which I have never done. Uh, but I can't possibly explain how I do what I do. And I seriously really do believe that that you can either tell a story, you know, write, write a story, or you can't. I can't paint and I can't sing, but I can tell a story. I mean, we are given different gifts. One of the things I got out of the book is this the nature of seasons and how that affects people, especially obviously with the title of Rain Music. How, how, how does that relate to the book? You know, the... the impending wet season up north, the beginning of the wet season, which they call the mango season, which is another possible title, mm-hmm. uh, sends people crazy. And they really, really, their behaviour changed, the humidity, they go nuts, and there's all these false storms. 
Um, and also, your lifestyle has to completely change. You have to hunker down for six months, not being able to go anywhere when you're so many people are cut off. And so there's you have to juggle your life, and if you get caught during the wet season, um, and then there is this this sense of of I found music that really kind of influenced um, in, influenced me when I'm you know plotting the book to as much as I ever do. That it's very strong. This Cairns is rich in music and a musical history. There's some amazing characters that that uh, are up there who were musicians uh, and. I just had Ned being this kind of dreamer, and he's, he, his father wanted him to be a doctor, go into you know the law, and he wanted to write songs. And he's had one sort of successful album, but he um, wants to write the great Australian musical or the great Australian rock opera. And he's a drifter and a dreamer, and he's now approaching forty, and everyone's telling him to get a proper job. Uh, and so I wanted that that kind of you know, sense of impending doom, like when the wet season's coming, because now suddenly he's been confronted with with having to make a decision about you know get a real job and go back home. You have to front up to the family, or are you just going to drift and be a loser? Hmm. It's interesting. I, I really like the uh, the time stamp that the seasons give. It remind, actually reminds me of Summer of the Seventeenth Doll. Yes. Those, you know where where it all ends. You know it, it ends with each summer and each winter when there was travel involved. Yes, and you had to get the cane in, and it had mm. to be cut before again before the the seasons change. Uh, it, well, it used to be that that our life was dictated by the seasons, but frankly now with climate change, the seasons are it's sending people quite potty because you can't plan anymore. You, nothing is as assured. People on the land are really struggling. In many ways. And, you know, many of your books have been set in rural settings and you live in a rural setting. Mm. What's the appeal versus, you know, living in the country versus city for you? The tranquility, the peace, the productivity. I'm not so distracted. I like the environment. Uh, and so it's, you know, to come down to Sydney um, or, you know, go to a big city and, um, is, is kind of fun for a couple of days. Um, but, and I'm at a stage in my life now where I've kind of been there, done that. Your life gets dictated by job, family, school, all of that stuff. And I'm in the lovely position now of having a career that can go anywhere. And so I like to, you know, sit in that peaceful sort of in environment but then I travel to exotic places a lot so um, it's the best of both worlds. It sounds like it. Now as you know many of our listeners are either at university or leaving university. Um, you didn't get to go to university did you? No I didn't and you know it was considered quite a shame because I was fairly bright at school but in those days uh, you know you had to it was before Whitlam you had to pay to go to university my mother was was widowed and she simply couldn't afford it but I knew what I wanted to do from age seven uh, and that was to write books it was that simple I was going to write books tell stories but then I discovered you actually don't leave school and become a novelist mm-hmm. uh, that nothing that hasn't changed um, 
And so the smartest thing I, I did through my uncle, who was um, a foreign correspondent, said, you go and get a job on a newspaper or magazine. And I did. I went in and got a cadetship on the Australian Women's Weekly after six weeks of running around as a copy girl making cups <laughs> of tea and, and, and stuff. Um, I got a four years training as a journalist, taught me how to research, taught me how to interview. There is nothing better than on-the-job training. Those wonderful old hands and these extraordinary, women who ran the, the Women's Weekly in those days um, taught me stuff you can never learn in school. You can have the most wonderful lecturer that can tell you things, but until you're thrown in the deep end and you have to go and interview someone who maybe you know, doesn't want to be interviewed or you know you have to learn tactics and I still believe in softly, softly catchy monkey. I don't believe in foot in the door journalism. But I do think that you you can't feel that, yes, you put in the hard yards so you deserve now to like be recognised for what you do. You do have to um, be somewhat humble and and consider that there are still things that you, you can can learn. And I wouldn't and now it's hard. There's so many you know, kids going to university. Everybody goes to university now. Um, but there aren't the jobs. Mm. It is really... I mean, I think a lot of graduates probably have to suffer a couple of years before they really, you know, get their foot in the door of the job that, that you know, is meaningful. It's tough. I wouldn't want to be, you know, in that position myself. At the right, you know, I wouldn't want to be starting out now. I'll tell you that. Um, who have been your influences as a writer? Well, I've been very fortunate in that I just happen to live in an area, again, a very tranquil, beautiful, peaceful area on Sydney's northern beaches. And Morris West and Tom Keneally uh, were, you know, neighbours and very, very, uh, um, you know, good friends. And um, they were... They were very generous with their time and advice and, and stuff as to to a new you know um, struggling struggling writer. Um, well, but if, if you're all on the same street, that's quite quite a uh, quite a neighbourhood. Um, very and, different. Uh, yes, writers, and um, John Cleary. Hmm. Uh, there are quite a few. Yeah, um, and when I grew up, I was influenced by um, well Dorothea McKellar, the old poetess. And, and a few who told me when I was seven, put your stories that you make up in your head down in a book one day. And I went, oh, right oh, that's what I'll do. Everyone that hasn't had a chance to uh, grab a copy of Rain Music, it is available at the co-op bookstore and various other places. Um, what's next, Di? What's next on the horizon? Ah, well, I have decided. Uh, uh, I, ha- I, I'm, I know where I'm going, so this... I'm, occasionally I go offshore for a part of a book, so I'll be going be, be going offshore again. I've set a book in Burma, I've set a book mm. in Malaysia um, and Hawaii. Books that have a connection with Australia, I mean stories mm. that have a connection with Australia, but I'm not going to tell you that's going to be a big secret. Okay. But I'm keeping myself busy. I've started a newspaper as well. Oh. I have a daily, I mean a monthly newspaper that I put out. Got a bit fed up with the local press, so I started my own. Wow, that's the, just, just just a small sidelight. Getting back into the media business. See, once a journo, always a, always a journo. Di Morrissey, thank you for speaking to us at the Co-op Chat. Thank you, Rob. It's been fun. Thanks.